Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Equalizer Editor-in-Chief Jeff Kasouf. How's it going, Jeff? I am good. I've got the uh, boat shoe tan from nice. deep in the good. summer and uh, <laughs> getting back into the swing of everything. So yeah, you're so you're kind of like uh, you're kind of like the NWSL players, right? You got you had your <laughs> your mid your mid season vacation, and now you're kind of diving back into it uh, with with some interesting results. We're going to do all NWSL this week because um, there's a lot to talk about. There are some things, some narratives, some storylines that are beginning to emerge. Um, some of which are surprising, some of which are not so surprising, but we always talked about how this period of the season was going to be when, when it gets real a little bit, um, with the way, with the nature of how the big international tournament period worked this summer. Um, real quick, I'm just actually going to start with the table and then we're going to talk about some tactical things that we saw, focus in on some teams, um, try to hit on as much as possible. So, uh, the Portland Thorns have finally overtaken the San Diego Wave in the table, perhaps expected with the goal differential that, that the Thorns have been putting up. But it is interesting that they do this on a draw. They did not win this weekend, but they do have um, more goals scored and actually one less match played than the Wave. So the Wave are in second. Uh, the Houston Dash are in third. Chicago is in fourth. Kansas City is in fifth, and OL Reign is in sixth. To be clear, there are four points between one and six right now, so it is still very, very tight at the top of the table. Um, Angel City is in seventh, Orlando Pride in eighth, Racing Louisville in ninth, Washington in tenth, Gotham in eleventh, and North Carolina still bringing up the rear in twelfth. So I think that what we're looking at table wise to me matches what we're seeing on the field. Right. I I don't think that there's anyone in that top six that anyone would say, Oh, I don't know if they should be there. I think that those six have consistently um, been doing well though. I think the other element of what we saw this weekend and last weekend, and I said this to Jason Anderson last weekend is the still kind of prone to mistakes, right? We're seeing a lot of goals scored, but those goals are being scored on, on defensive mistakes. We're seeing individual efforts go a long way. Like for example, in, in North Carolina's draw with Portland. Um, and we're also seeing some possession possession based teams struggle a little bit with counterattacking teams, which isn't that the NWSL kind of in a nutshell, right? You have the teams that want to possess a little bit more and the teams that just want to press, turn the ball over and strike quickly. Um, and, and traditionally it's the latter of the, of the two teams. Like we look at the championship game last year, that was Chicago and Washington in a nutshell. I think Washington possessed slightly more than Chicago did, but those were two very counterattacking teams that were having success. And so I think that's maybe where I want to start. Cause when we look at this top six, the teams that stand out to me where I say, this is a very counterattacking team is San Diego. We've talked about San Diego quite a lot though, but Houston and Kansas city, I think are the two right now that are really excelling at that style of play. Um, and so for you, Jeff, we always have this question when you see teams excelling on quick attacks, good shooting off the ball movement, how sustainable is that? Or perhaps does it feel more sustainable since we're making the run into the playoffs now rather than if this were the first 10 games of the season? What do you think, Jeff? 
Yeah, I think sustainability, that's a good good phrase and, and word to use, especially with Houston, I think, because that's, you know, we know how the dash, I think, you know, the, the history, the recent history of the dash is kind of well documented on that, you know, winning that 2020 Challenge Cup, feeling like maybe they were over the hump. And then last year, I think being a real utter disappointment that felt like it had carried into this year, uh, you know, at least at the challenge cup. And, and then obviously basically from the regular season, which coincided with some still unresolved coaching, um, you know, with, with James Clarkson, uh, right. the, the investigation and his exit that, you know, that was sort of that turnaround, uh, obviously one Carlos Amaros coming in and, and uh, off to an immediate hot start. So I think Houston is the team. I mean, you mentioned, whether there was any surprise to this top six to like for me of that six, Houston's the one that maybe surprises me the most just mm-hmm. from, you know, certainly not on recent form, as you said, but maybe three months ago, if you said that to me, uh, that would have been a bit surprising. Obviously Ebony Salmon arrived only uh, about a month ago at this point right. via trade. And that was sort of a new addition that is immediately paying off. So, you know, I, I think for Houston in particular, that, that sustainability is a question. Kansas City, I know, I think, um, and, and I don't have it on me, excuse me, but the, you know, the stat, um, which I believe yeah, would be from Ariel Drawer, um, you know, just in terms of expected wins, essentially, and, and mm-hmm. what um, Kansas City has actually done. I mean, you look at, they have a, a minus one goal difference even yep. being in fifth place. So I, they're, they're a good example of you win, you know, four out of your most recent five games and right. you can climb the table very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just, I mean, you know, nine unbeaten, most of those one, you know, one goal results as we've mm-hmm. seen. And so I, I think that, you know, to, to a degree with Houston, I would say you wonder, is this sustainable? And um, you know, is the exact form of a salmon sustainable over the next three, two, three more months. Um, right. Probably not exactly, not, not to the degree of six goals in three games here, but, right. um, you know, I think Houston is creating enough of a buffer and, and obviously Kansas city right there as well, where, you know, you look, you look below them and say, okay, angel city, Orlando racing, um, not discounting that bottom three, but certainly struggles among them and, and North Carolina, whether they can do anything in those, many games they have in hand we'll see but you know i don't i don't really look below any of this top six below that red line and think you know there's really a team that i'd be really scared of if i'm i'm houston or kansas city kind of catching up maybe angel city depending on you know how the the rest of this plays out i think they've proven to be really gritty but um you know i I think creating that buffer this is that um, you and i have talked about the summer a lot i feel like we talked about this last year these are those kind of dog days where you have to kind of grind out these results in the heat. (laughs) Just like literally too. I think every single game was just, these players were swimming through humidity this weekend. It was a very humid weekend, just like across the board, I think. Yeah. So so just to have that um, ability, if you're Houston in particular to say we're in third right now, you know, we've got this kind of hectic August coming up as does just about everybody with friendlies or otherwise. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we built ourselves a little bit of a buffer, um, I think that that is a huge positive for a dash side that I think, you know, myself included many left for um, very low expectations based off the challenge cup. Yeah, I agree. Um, man, there is one thing we've learned is that the challenge cup meant certainly this year, very little. Um, yeah. I think with the dash, they are, like you said, kind of, when you talk about the stats, um, the dash's uh, goal output is greatly outperforming their chances created. 
um, which is not necessary. It doesn't mean that the goals are going to go away, but it does mean that, that when you, when you look at stats like XG or G plus, you know, they're not the Bible of, of what's happening, especially when you look at the way the dash have very successfully forced teams into mistakes, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, if you can stay bought in, you actually really can sustain for a long time and set yourself up for easy goals. But eventually you do kind of come back down to earth. Um, the thing with Kansas city though, is, is while the results themselves have spiked in a very positive direction, their actual output in terms of both defense and offense is pretty close to what they're generating statistically, which is usually a little bit more of a a setting someone else. So setting your team up for success because it's not like they have anyone on a super hot streak or well, other than AD French, who has been fantastic, but I believe that she'll be able to maintain that throughout the rest of the season. Um, So for Houston, I think that when you look at the goals that they're scoring, perhaps that, you know, comes down a little bit. Certainly also once they get tape, you know, other teams get tape on, on the new look with a new coach, but um, they're also getting Rachel Daly back. And so I think they are going to, they're about to go through one of their bigger integration periods as well. Um, And we've seen some of that over the last couple of weeks. And I think we've seen some teams do better with that than others. Um, I think OL rain is a good example of a team that isn't always doing an amazing job of turning the talent that they have into a cohesive unit. I think the thorns have a little bit of an embarrassment of riches in their midfield, and they're still figuring out the best ways to utilize players, right? Like you have Sinclair who came back, but you also, you know, Hina Sagita and Yasmin Ryan both had fantastic months while, while sync was gone. Um, and I think we're still kind of seeing a little bit of tinkering, which I, I think is a little bit more unusual this late in the season. And so he, this was this was posited to me by someone I was just chatting with the other day, and I wonder wonder what you think of this, Jeff. Which is that? Do you think because we have a lot of newer coaches, like for example, um, Laura Harvey is is one of the the coaches in this top six, and she is certainly not a new coach. But the other five have either uh, a first year, second year coach, you know, some even shorter. Right? Dash have a have a brand new coach. Do you think that willingness to tinker this late in the season to still figure out your best 11 is due to those coaches being new? Um, Or do you think that it's still just this is the normal progression of things in terms of the calendar? Yeah, I think this is still a pretty familiar calendar pattern. Um, You know, the the new coaching situation, I think that certainly in the Challenge Cup and, and early season was a factor. I mean, are there teams that still haven't figured it out? Absolutely. Um, You know, some of these summer arrivals, um, even from a coaching perspective. I mean, we're talking about Houston, um, which has been sort of this um, ongoing change, I guess, throughout the season in in the way that's evolved. So, you know, I I think that from, I I think most of the coaching sort of factor there, um, yes, I mean, you're always learning, but I think that's probably earlier season um, Mm -hmm. than it is, than it is right now. And, and, you know, I, I do think that there are teams that, you know, we talk about Portland. I mean, this is this is sort of a, a no duh type of statement, but you know, these teams that are at the top of the table, certainly Portland, San Diego, I think have a pretty firm identity, not just in style of play, but assuming everybody's healthy available, you know, what that best eleven looks like and, and how it will play. Um, you know, and, and Chicago in that group as well. You know, whereas around that red line, you mentioned the rain trying to reintegrate 
you know, I think even Angel City, um, I'm, I'm not really sure what to make of Orlando entirely still, but the fact that they're in somewhat striking distance of the red line is, has yeah. got to be considered progress. So, right. um, you know, I think there are teams that need to figure it out still, but, but more so by way of, um, I, I don't know that that's coaching changes as much as it is just the way the, those rosters have been built. I mean, just those two teams we talk about who just drew over the weekend, you know, Angel City, Orlando were built in, in such a way that they were going to have challenges entering the season, no matter what, in certain areas. Right. Um, yes. And so I think that this is also kind of where my mind goes with that idea of like reintegration or, or team versus individual, which is that we're seeing much stronger individual seasons from some players this year than we did last year. I mean, people have, I'm sure we talked about on the podcast before about how last year was not a great goal scoring year for the league, right? The, it was, you know, a low, a low golden boot of only 10. It's been surpassed by two players already. Sophia Smith and Alex Morgan both have 11. Um, Diana Ordonez has seven goals. She tied the record this past weekend for, for goals in a rookie season. She's third in the golden boot race. We've got two players on six goals. Um, and, and so then my, my next question is, is this like, a shaking of the cobwebs a little bit from the pandemic year. Is this due to maybe just thinner defenses, maybe due to expansion or any other sort of shakeups that you see on rosters? And does it, I mean, to me, it feels like a very different league this year in that you're going to get goals. And, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure that was always true last year. So what's your take on that, Jeff? Where do you think that comes from? You know, I was going to say, you mentioned earlier defending and maybe it not being the best over the weekend or even, even recently, I thought last season was of now 10, you know, this is the 10 year mark. I thought last season across the board defending was probably the worst I've seen mm-hmm. in, in covering this league and, and just, you know, at an individual level, one V ones and just kind of collectively. Um, I do think that's improved a little bit this year, just sort of league wide and, and maybe credit that to the massive coaching turnover. And you look at, you know, I think the top two teams, again, I mean, Portland and San Diego, both with new coaches, San Diego, new franchise entirely. But, you know, I think San Diego has sort of done operated in such a way that defending obviously is, is a key piece of that. Um, even if they've had some, some tougher games at times, I think the the ugliest one I can remember, I think was, was challenge cup anyway, in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, defending, um, Look, I don't. I don't think this is a league that's super well known for defending. I think that's why it's considered such an entertaining league. Um, so I'm not sure that that's necessarily any better this year. Um, and to your point about you know goal scoring, I do think we've seen more, uh, just a greater number of forwards in top form mm-hmm. this year, and that is you know names like you'd expect. I think. You know, we're we're talking a lot about Mallory Pugh this year. I thought this is a continuation of last year, really, for for anybody. And I know you're in this group that that was paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think Pugh, you know, Morgan being in the best form of of her life, really, and certainly at a club level. Mm-hmm. Um, Salmon is is in form. We talked about. So I, I think that there's just a greater uh, abundance of forwards who are sort of on right now versus last year, where um, you know I think defending was possibly even worse last year at at a large scale, but we just didn't see the finishing level 
Um, and, and maybe that is cobwebs from the pandemic, as you said. I, I don't know. Last year was, you know, in so many ways on and off the field, obviously a, a weird year. Right. But- and that actually, you're, that's a good point as well, which is that if, if finishing is mental, there were a lot of other reasons why that piece might not have always been there for, for everybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, this is, I'm, I'm happy to see, you know, it pains me a little bit, I guess, as a, a former defender who likes to see good defending, but I mean, there's no denying that these games are, um, I mean, they're unpredictable, right? They're, they're unpredictable in ways that we get two, two, three, three draws. And, um, you know, we see some really special things from, you know, what Sophia Smith did over the weekend on an individual level. Um, you know, I, I think that these are, are things that people and certainly like the casual fan wants to see. So, you know, I think the finishing is, is better this year and, and maybe um, we'll never really know exactly why last year was, was off on so many individual levels, but I, I think it's fair to at least wonder about correlating, you know, the off the field with, with that. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Speaking of Smith, um, this is maybe a good place to, to sort of close seg a let's talk, let's talk individuals. So I, I, you know, I said, I think 80 French, um, she's my goalkeeper of the year front runner at this point. Um, I think she's been very, very good. Um, we saw Katie Lund in, in Louisville. I think that's an, I mean, we've seen a lot of really great goalkeeping. I think that that's a very exciting uh, thing to watch, even for the teams that themselves are not necessarily in playoff position. Right. I think Lund has been great. Fallon Tellis Joyce has been great. 80 French has been great. Um, Kaylin Sheridan, Kaylin Sheridan, right. You know, the penalty saves talk about like, you know, true game saving moments. It wasn't quite Mm -hmm. enough this weekend, but goodness. Um, so I'm going to, I'll put you on the spot. Who's your, who's your, uh, goalkeeper of the year front runner right now, Jeff goalkeeper Sheridan. I I think really, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, um, in the individual moment like that and, and just being part of, um, I, I don't know if we talk about goalkeepers and I'm part of this, like, you know, we talk about back fours as kind of like this isolated thing, but, you know, a, a goalkeeper's role in that beyond just, you know, a big save that we see, I, I think that's, you know, they are obviously integral parts of that. And I think, you know, Sheridan has been um, across the board. Yes. Goalkeeping has been good across the board in the league, but I think Sheridan consistently um, has been uh, and not not a league MVP maybe, but certainly an MVP type of role for for her team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I think that the NWSL one of the NWSL's greatest strengths, honestly, is just um, across the board some some pretty incredible goalkeeping. Um, all right, next question. Uh, you just said that you don't <laughs> you haven't thought it's been an amazing year for defense, but maybe better than last year. Last year was the uh, the year of the outside back maybe also indicative, right? That it was a more of an attacking role that people noticed last year rather than, than true steady defense. Do you have a defender of the year favorite? Is there a defender that's caught, caught your eye across the board that you think has, has done the nicest job? Um, you know, I, I think that, I don't know that defender of the year um, definitively, but I think in terms of caught my eye, I think mm-hmm. among many others, I've been very impressed with Naomi Gurma. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, I've talked mm-hmm. about this quite a bit. I, I don't know that, you know, is that rookie of the year instead of defender of the year? I mean, it could be both or it could be either, but um, you know, I I just think from a, from a, the perspective of, you know, traditionally a league where rookies have not always adapted immediately. um, And that's that being a position of, you know, significant importance, obviously. And, and to be able to perform that way for a team that, 
you know, I mean, still, still level on points with Portland really has been so far wire to wire atop the Mm -hmm. table since the the start of the regular season. And and she, you know, has been a a significant part of that. Um, I've been very impressed with her. So I don't know, I'd have to think a little harder on defender of the year if there's someone more impressive overall, but no, I think that's a good shout though. I do. Um, all right, pivoting over then. So we're going to take Gurma. We're going to say Gurma's your defense. We are just, you know, just for this purpose. Say, say Gurma's <laughs> the defender of the year. We're pulling her from the rookie of the year conversation, maybe. Um, just to, for variety's sake, right? Okay. Uh, you know, I, I think that this has been such a strong rookie class, right? We, I, I mentioned Ordonez. Elise Bennett has been great for, uh, for, for Kansas City. I think Amira Ali has been very good for San Diego. Ava Cook has been very good for Chicago, just a lot of rookies stepping in and doing a fantastic job. So not Gurma, because we'll say Gurma is like your NWSL best 11. She's maybe your defender of the year. Who is a different rookie that you're like, this is pretty special. You know, I'll avoid the obvious too. then with Ordonez since we've mentioned her, um, you know, her tally so far, I actually think I, I agree with you. I think this is, you know, the deepest rookie class, for immediate impact in a rookie season that we've ever seen. And, you know, among the many different ones, I would say, actually, I don't know that Sam coffee has gotten a lot of attention just because mm-hmm. of the position. Is she eligible she's in. for rookie of the year? I never know with these, the, the, the COVID year. Is she, she's, oh, she's got to right? be. I mean, if she's not, then we need to make Figure a phone call. Yeah, I right. mean, if, no. if anybody yes, who's I, coming I in late, yeah. yeah, I think I, I, I mean, only left her off the list because I, I have to admit, I am very confused as to who a rookie is and, and not. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I think anybody in that position, Michaela Clough, I mean, players yeah. who still played college, this is their first pro year. I mean, yeah. for me, that's, yeah, I, that's right. gotta be rookie year. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, what coffee's done of stepping into a six role, um, in a, you know, a team that obviously has had some, some huge names fill that role before is missing um, a couple of key midfielders really for, mm-hmm. for various reasons. Um, and, you know, I, I think has done so pretty seamlessly to the point that, you know, she was on that long list for, for qualifying eventually was a replacement to go to qualifying and, and has been really, you know, I, I think these, these little things, little moments with her, I mean, even just being like the team's regular free kick corner kick taker, like just the trust that's been put into her basically immediately in a, in a really key, but overlooked position. I think Well, that's also fascinating. That's, I mean, yes, I think you've, you've opened up a really good, a a little bit of a a good conversation here. Cause I think coffee, you know, people who might not have watched her in college, um, it makes sense that she's the free kick and corner kick taker because she was an attacking midfielder uh, for, for Penn state. She played striker for them. She was much more advanced positionally. Uh, And then she comes into Portland and I would love to know the backstory to this, the talent ID of, of saying, no, I think this is our next starting number six. Now that Angela Salem has, has left the playing game is fascinating to me because I don't think, everybody watched coffee in college and thought, of course, this is going to be the next starting number six for the Portland Thorns. They thought, Oh, this is a number 10 option. This is a number right. eight option. Um, so I think that you want to talk about something that Rian Wilkinson's staff nailed it. It was this, and I don't know if it's a little bit of luck or just a little bit of expertise or, or what, but I think that's an interesting and, and more unique story even than, than people might realize if they weren't familiar with coffee before. Yeah. Yeah. Who's your, who's your rookie? Cause I, I mean, there's one obvious one that I haven't mentioned, but. Oh no. 
<laughs> wait, wait, well, we who's the obvious it. one that you haven't mentioned? <laughs> well, so I think Savannah DeMello is, is. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, okay, who's also so in that actually, category. Yeah, I would say I, well, this is, I had this thought. I had this thought as well um, about Louisville, which is that it's that, you know, people Louisville's roster has obviously been in flux in a not amazing way um, since their entry into the league, right? The expansion draft went kind of oddly for them. Um, they've had players request trades. You know, it hasn't been great. We've seen um, not amazing relationships with Kim Bjorkegren with some players. You know, the Ebony Salmon one is an obvious one, but they drafted so well last year. You know, when they have, they brought in Howell, they brought in Kirsten Davis the year before. She was another COVID year player who is really starting to turn things on. She's got two goals in two games, right? Um, or no, she's got a goal and an assist in, in two games. And and then and then DeMello. And I think that that was a player that when they took her so high in the draft, everyone was a little bit like, oh, right, of course, this player is, is good. And she was coming off a serious injury, which I think might have been why she was a little bit of a surprise going that high. but. That young group, I mean, I think you put, she's no longer a rookie, but Emily Fox into that as well. And just think maybe this is my fault, which is that I think more of them as a collective <laughs> of, of young, talented players. But yes, you're right. Savannah DeMello has, has been very good, but I just even have been surprised in the last couple of weeks of how good Kirsten Davis has been, you know? Um, so I think that they have a, a group there that is very talented and hopefully greater as a sum of its parts, which I think is probably what they're hoping for. So that's my mental block on that one, I guess. Um, all right, real quick. We, we know that the top of the golden boot race, right? We've got Smith and Morgan, you know, I, I think that Smith is, she's set up to, to, I think go to run away with this. I think that just the way that Portland has been playing and some of the distribution issues that Morgan had over the last two weeks, not really her fault. She just hasn't gotten the ball as much. Um, do you have an MVP favorite though? And is it a forward? I guess is my question. I mean, I, I think I always, I hate, I feel like it's very lazy when to, to be like whoever scores the most goals. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Traditionally that's been the case. That's why I was actually thrilled. I, I didn't even care necessarily who was going to win it from the finalists last year. I was just like, wow, we've got Salem and Fishlock and like right. non-traditional. And, and it was a year where we mentioned there was not really any sort of standout goal scoring performance. So um, I think it's hard to envision a world in which it's not one of Smith, Morgan, or Pew the way that the season is going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from from there, is it necessarily the Golden Boot versus the that V and MVP and, and value to team? Um, you know, I, I think any of those three at the moment is a a very fair argument, and mm-hmm. and probably will be at season's end. Um, if I had to pick one, you know, I, I guess to that point you just made and to the value of it, like, is, is it saying what is San Diego without Morgan versus what is Portland without Smith or, I mean, Chicago without Pew though, you know, that is a collective, but you know, I think Pew being very central to that, even. Well, I think that's her greatest argument is that I don't think Pew is going to win the golden boot, but Mm -hmm. it is that they ask her to do more things, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think all three of those are fair shouts. Um, you know, Pew, you know, I, I think Pew, like, I think there was an argument last year that Fishlock winning was um, sort of a cumulative lifetime award, but while also being deserving, you know, mm-hmm. of a good year. But, um, you know, I wonder if, you know, Pew maybe was 
you put together last year and this, and and maybe that's sort of in voters' minds that it's been it's been a consistent, really Build. consistent two years. Right. But not that that should necessarily be a factor. But I think no, I get that. I think probably, and this is goes back to the philosophical argument of what is the award, right? But I bet for me, and this was probably also true for me with Fishlock last year, is when you have a number of players who are doing so well in different ways. I might wait a lot on just how the team finishes. You know, if, if mm. you are the high excelling player and that has turned into a team campaign that has been really impressive, that might wait a little bit more this year. Cause I think that there are a, a number of players that are deserving, um, but it will be like, okay, so does Portland get the shield with like a plus 30 goal differential based on, you know, Sophia Smith's golden boot campaign. Well, that's a pretty good argument, right? Or is it, right. you know, Alex Morgan is one, her and Sheridan perhaps are one of some of the main reasons why San Diego finishes by far the highest at any expansion team in league history. There's your mm. argument there, right? Chicago, right. brand new system, really young team. Pew is the glue that holds them together. There's your, you know, and so I think maybe sometimes those tiebreakers go to how did they influence their team and, and how did that team finish is maybe, and you know, people can disagree with me on that, but sometimes that becomes a tiebreaker in, in my mind mm-hmm. a little bit as well. Do you have an obvious one or do you have a non forward that jumps out to you? Oh gosh. Um, I will say this, that I, a non forward <laughs> in this, this year that we're in, I, I know mean, that I, we're in, I'm wondering too, I mean, you're in Chicago. I, I don't know if we, Chicago feels to me like a team that's been playing really well collectively, but not necessarily maybe other than Pew. I mean, I've been impressed with like Ava cook and Zoe Morris and, and just in, in waves, but none of them are, I mean, obviously not, not those two either, but you know, I wonder if like, is this a year where one of those central midfielders that's just been there forever, but doesn't always get a ton that's of a attention. Funny, well, that's I don't like know. a funny question too, right? Because I do think that Pew is Chicago's MVP candidate, but I think Chicago's MVP has been Vanessa Di Bernardo. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's like two different things, right? Right. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a good question. I think the hard part for me is, and, and again, people can disagree with me, but I think that some of the high, best performers that we're talking about were also the players that were gone for a month. Right. And it's a weird year when those are your highest performing players. And it's not shocking that those players, the arc of, of their form was built around being able to bring it to the international level. Right. Um, But those players weren't there for a month. And so that's also a complicated thing too. Like Pew has played far fewer minutes actually, even than, than Smith and Morgan combined with her concussion earlier in the season, plus, uh, plus the international period. Um, so I think that's a difficult thing for me, which is that I would be like, I've been so impressed with gosh, maybe honestly, I'm like, Hina Sagita, I think has been great. I think, um, I, I think that I also just thought so highly of how that midfield, that Portland midfield played, but that was with the the internationals gone. And so that team's going to look very different down the stretch. So maybe it is, maybe my argument is that rotation has been too high for me to be able to pinpoint anybody just yet, because no one, there are very few players on the high performing teams that have not rotated in and out. And if I'm missing someone, I need to sit down and like 
focus in on it a little bit more as maybe. Yeah. The only, I saw, I saw broadcast had Emily Van Eggman playing every minute. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying she's an MVP vote for me, but th- that one that surprised me a bit, especially with her kind of late arrival and, right. and you know, but I, I, you know, sometimes you look at something like that and wonder if you're overlooking something in terms of, you know, value to, to the whole setup, but I agree. Well, I also think, been very you good. know, gosh, if, if Kansas city finishes top four, I think you have to put maybe Desiree Scott into that conversation. Right. When you talk about like players that sort of hold that team together, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough one. I'm curious what people think. I think we could have this conversation for a long time. I also want to admit, and this is, you know, just my personal admission, which is, I think I will have a better sense of this, the further we get away from the international period, just purely on terms of mental bandwidth, I think that it's easier to look at the arc of a full season when there aren't this many massive games going on. So I think that that's part of it too. Um, But yeah, so this became a little bit of an aside here. I was trying to close things up and it didn't really work, but um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of good stuff here. And I will admit that as one person, watching a 12 team league. I know there are things that I am missing. I'm, I'm keenly aware of that. And, and I'm interested to know what people think, but um, we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll have a short conversation, maybe on the less positive stuff. We're going to talk about some teams that are having some trouble on the bottom end of the table and uh, what we think's going on there, because though that can frequently be just as interesting as what's going well. So we'll be right back. All right, welcome to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Jeff Kasouf. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you find your podcasts. Give us a nice review. It helps people find us. Discovery, as everybody knows, is so important in this game that we play here. Uh, And so please, please, if you like the show, uh, uh, please give us a nice rating and review. It really does help a lot. So teams at the bottom half of, of the table, some of which, you know, I think the major major headlines are similar ones to the beginning of the season. Uh, Washington and North Carolina just could not get any difference. They could not get three points. Um, Gotham, I think, had another really rough game this weekend, losing 2 nothing to Chicago. Um, the higher you get in that bottom six, I think you see more positive motion, right? I think racing Louisville, I mentioned just how well I think their rookie class is going. I think the better their rookies play kind of combined with what Jess McDonald and Nadia Nadim bring, I think it keeps them in games more, which is great. That's like step one. Um, and I think Orlando, similarly, they're doing a much better job of, of getting results, um, and I don't know if it's a change in mentality for them or just sort of some consistency, obviously with Seb Hines taking over as the interim head coach. And then with Angel City, it's a little bit more of a mixed bag. Some days they look great. Uh, some days they they kind of collapse at the end. They're a huge collapse against the rain last weekend. And then this weekend they lost the three points and had to settle for a draw at the end of the match. Um, I guess maybe we really should start, though. There, there's a new... Um, a new team, and I'm doing this because I know that we we talked about Orlando in this respect, and so I want to be fair to the pride. There is a new team in, in negative goal differential, and it is Gotham. They are at negative 15 goal differential. Orlando has pulled back into negative 14. Now, Gotham has only played 12 games. They're two games in hand with most of the field, three with some. Um, 
I will say that from what I saw and I was there, I was at, I was at the Chicago Gotham game. And I think this was a different game than, than Gotham has played this season. Uh, but not necessarily in a positive way. I thought it was very timid. I thought it was intended to be defensively minded, but really what happened is they just kind of absorbed waves of pressure for the entire game. It felt like a mentality shift to try to tighten things up. And what happened instead is it felt like once the first goal was scored, the game was over. Um, So Jeff play coach here for a second. How do you fix Gotham? Small, you know, easy, easy question. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's an easy one. Right. Um, well, look, I think that the mentality piece is part of it. We've heard that, I think, directly from some of their leadership over the past couple of weeks or, or even beyond that. I mean, I was at that San Diego game in June before leaving for the international break, and that was that was the topic of conversation as well right ahead of that international break. So that, I don't think that's new, um, that it's – that was two months ago, actually. So that right. it's you know, dragging on this long, I don't think – um, I think that suggests that, that there are not solutions, obviously, by way of results, but also that, you know, I mean, look, sometimes you need changes in that, uh, what that looks like. I mean, I'm not suggesting, yeah, I don't know. You might have to get to an off season to figure that out, right? Right. But um, I, I don't know exactly how you change that uh, midseason. Some teams have been able to, some teams even later than this moment. I mean, this, it was basically this week last year that, um, obviously, under very different circumstances, the the spirit started mm-hmm. their twenty game unbeaten run minus uh, you know the forfeits uh, m- yeah. minus the forfeits. So, um, look, I, you know, more tactically, I think Gotham has not figured out the midfield combination, and right. you know, again, um, predictably in terms of, I think that last year they had redundant players. This year, that has remained the case, even with. Ali Long not being there. I do think that they miss Ali Long, despite, you know, maybe a lot of similar players anyway. Um, she was that deep lying playmaker that was mm-hmm. able to distribute from that holding mid position in ways that, I mean, really, you know, she's, she's got last year included one of the most accurate passers in the league. So. Well, and um, it I feels think- a little bit like in, in a not great way, they're trying to replace her by committee, which just means that they right. sit very far back. And so the right. gap between the midfield and the attack is, is very wide at this moment. Yeah. And look, I mean, the attack, obviously I think the individual talent there is. And, is and I also known. real quick caveat is, is they were missing quite a few players in, in this game. You know, they, they had a little yeah. bit of a, a COVID outbreak. They had a couple excused absences. They had, some injuries that they're dealing with. So I don't want to discount that, but their starting 11 was not completely different than the one that they've been rolling out uh, pretty consistently. So that's the only thing like it's, it was still pretty close actually to their preferred starting 11, but they were missing quite a few players. Well, and even with those absences though, I mean, you know, even with players there, those players there or full strength, this has sort of been what we've seen from them. I mean, they've gone on the road, you know, the, the road trips to, well, not just the road trips, but the aggregate against San Diego, you know, comes to mind as, as some of the uglier score lines. Obviously, Chicago back to back within a, a month of each other or so. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's individual talent up front. Mm-hmm. There's individual talent even in that midfield that we talked about, but the combination just hasn't been there. And, you know, in the back, I think that um, it's it's been a veteran back line that, you know, I think as much attention as we had on maybe the fullbacks last year, um, you know, it's a backline that was on the older side that 
that didn't get any younger this year. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that has helped. Um, So I I think when you look at that and you say across the board where you've got that in the back, you've got questions in midfield and yes, you have talent up front, but you don't really have service to it. um, You suddenly have a very disoriented and disjointed team. And I think to your point, that's, you know, we saw that on full display over the weekend, but we've been seeing that for months really. Right. Yeah, it's it's where you can probably get into the micro of every game weekend and and have a, a maybe a different thing to talk about. But when you're looking at the macro arc of the season, that's been pretty consistent. Um, yeah, but, so, but I mean, Claire, I mean, how do they fix that? I don't know. I, I yeah. think that they they definitely need to integrate. Um, and it's not the time on the calendar in August to do that when you're trying to get back into a playoff hunt. But I think that they need a little bit of of development of young talent for at least the long haul, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with that. Um, it it's I it has to be very. I mean, it's one of oh gosh, it's one of those things where you can see sometimes a team, and this is just true across sports, which is that they put together what they consider to be their win now roster, which then means that there may be too attached to it. Right? You don't want to start the rebuild when that wasn't the plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also sometimes you have to react to what's in front of you and, and, and figure out if you do want to make changes now, or if you want to see the run out to the rest of the season, I worry that um, the only thing for me is that I do think that Gotham has a number of really talented players. And I, I wonder at what point you are threatening your relationship with those players by continuing um, and, and I think it's also an emotional season for them. You look at them, they're the only team that's never drawn. It's mm. either a win or a loss for them. And I think that that also mentally has to be really hard. They have more wins than many of the other teams surrounding them in the table, but they just also have a tendency to lose. And I think they talked about this this weekend, which is that that's the grittiness, right? That's the getting stuck in. That's the getting a point out of nothing. That's the kind of mm. thing that builds a little bit of a galvanizing force. And we just haven't seen that. And so that's where you right. just wonder what's going, how, how people are feeling in the locker room and, and how you maybe prioritize that first and then the results will come. Right. Well, and on that macro level, I mean, even looking back to, to last year, I mean, even if we put it, you know, let's move on from the sky blue era of right. rookies who didn't want to report, which is part of this, what we're talking about of, you know, have you built for the future as well, but even last year with, you know, Pinto not getting minutes. And then obviously they, they trade her away while barely having featured, you know, a top five pick. Um, And she's done, you know, quite well in North Carolina overall, obviously the courage of their own struggles, but Mm -hmm. um, you know, there is a player who, you know, at draft time is here's our player for the next 10 years. And and by season's end, you know, they, they've moved on. So um, I think they've got to figure out certainly a long-term plan. And obviously the short-term hasn't been working either. Or just the loaning out of Evelyn BN, I think is right. another one right. too. Yeah. Um, yeah. How to solve a problem like Gotham. I think if they knew they'd be working on it. Um, so kind of going from there talking about, uh, we'll, we'll wrap this up soon, but I, I am interested, I guess, in when you're looking at, when you're looking at the table, like I am right now, and you're looking at form, which is, you know, the last five games, um, you're seeing some teams be able to, to rack up some draws, right? I mean, again, I mentioned the pride 
Um, I think the spirit are doing better in ways. They just cannot get a win. Same with the courage, you know, the courage fought back, right? We thought maybe it was going to be a horrible loss against Portland, but they showed some, some, you know, some uh, passion and spirit there. And I guess, except the, the flip side of that is I just wonder for the spirit and the courage, the, the lapses in concentration and in form, throughout a a 90 minute game, I think is a problem for them. I do want to finally though, maybe talk about the teams in sixth and in seventh. Um, Because I I think it's a really interesting line in the sand here of OL rain is a team that people feel really good about. Um, And angel city is a team that I think that people are a little bit more worried about. Um, They are three points away from one another, but the rain have played 15 games. They're one of the teams that have played 15. Um, These are two teams. It seems like sometimes look like they're for sure going to make playoffs. And sometimes you're, or maybe what I'm trying to say is I feel like angel city is punching above its weight a little bit right now, just in terms of the roster they've constructed and the injuries that they've accumulated. And it feels sometimes like the rain are doing the opposite. Um, What's your take on, on that, on that line, that playoff line and how people are maybe feeling about both of those two teams? Well, I think what you just said is totally fair. And and part of that is, you know, again, we're in August here and, and where does that, how do you like tangibly qualify that conversation? And it, right. part of it is roster depth and, and talent there. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, to Angel City's credit, um, they have they have stayed in this mix. And and yes, I think if you're if you're looking at it and you could say, well, two games in hand on OL Rain, say we get max points out of that, and suddenly we're we're level with Houston for third. That is, you know, certainly one way to look at it. I mean, I right. think that, you know, for me, um, when you look at depth, I mean, this will be a month I think that defines um, you know, the statement that you just made, because I think that you know, it's a, it's a team that I've had this conversation a little bit like, yes, there is depth in places like forward. Um, there is also, you know, right back has been a, a makeshift from, from the beginning of the season. Right. right. And, and has been admirably filled by uh, some, some forward, but mm-hmm. um, you know, those are things that you wonder, does that sustain into August, September into a playoff run? Um, and maybe it does. And it becomes something, you know, and it becomes, you know, Spencer or Lucy or, or, you know, that's, that becomes a permanent position over the long haul, or maybe it doesn't. Um, but, you know, I think that's where, when you talk about kind of an optimism around oil rain, I think one, you've got Harvey there, who's, mm-hmm. um, who's been through that before, obviously. And and two, you know, you've got an abundance of talent, um, right. not just on one line, but, but across the board. Maybe so, that's where my frustration comes in. I want them to be like, battling with Portland for the shield <laughs> and it's just not quite yeah. happening yet. You know, they should be. Well, and I mean, last year, again, very different season, but you know, it was around this point where they we were kind of on. having the same yeah. conversation. Yeah. And, and maybe they had just sort of turned it on under Sam lady at this point last year, but you know, then they made that run where we almost had a decision day mm-hmm. shield race. Right. right. So um, maybe the rain do the same thing this time. I, I don't know. I think that there's a little bit more competition here and, um, but, you know, e- even saying that, um, you know, we're talking like this, Claire. I mean, you said it at the top of the show, first to six is separated by four points, right? right. So um, I think it's a little bit of 
maybe just perspective on on um the vibe around portland versus the rain and just yeah, just the results that they've they've either dropped that they should have maybe had a better result or that they've kind of been able to grind out which i think you know sunday's result aside where you know there's that stoppage time result uh, stoppage time equalizer that you know i think angel city can feel pretty good about grinding mm-hmm. out results even from from the start of the regular season right um whereas you know i think the rain have been a little bit inconsistent yeah Fair enough. I think everybody's been a little bit inconsistent, right. but that's what's yeah. keeping it interesting, right? Yeah. Which is what keeps it tight. Yeah. I think yeah. And, be... and, and I, I think you're right. And I, I keep saying this and I just do think it's true is I do think that we're going to see, or maybe we won't, I don't know. Things stayed really tight last year until the very end. Obviously we did have decision day playoffs, right? The last games of the regular season for that, that, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth spot. Um, we might still have that. And we have a lot of games still left to play, especially those at the bottom of the table. So we'll have to see. Um, but yeah, I think this was, I mean, a little bit scattered maybe, but we're sort of finding our way back to, to NWSL and seeing what's going on with the league. And it'll be good to get some consistent weeks of just sort of taking a look at, again, as arcs, as narratives, as that playoff push begins to happen. Hopefully we will start seeing some teams turning it on because that will be very exciting too. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me this week, Jeff. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy and our distributor blue wire podcast. We will be back next week with, I'm sure some next level wackiness. That is the NWSL. So everybody we'll see you next time.